according to Jewish website, as of 2021, there's 15 million Jews. Uh, 7.3 million of them live in the United States. And just under 7 million live in Israel. So there's more Jews in the United States than there are in their home country of Israel. And then I think it goes down to France and Canada. There's a small percentage in Russia and Germany even. Uh, but they're literally throughout the whole world. Jews are, And that's what we call the dispersia. Is like they've been dispersed all these years, all the way back to Genesis. They've, they've been spread out among their country and the world. Uh, but Sven, there are supposedly 7,637,261,000 people in the world today. And so that would make the Jewish population of 0.002%. When you said that, I'm like, I'm like, there's no way that he just did that. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? It's right here. Uh, it's crazy. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Think about think about that just for a second. Is small under one percent of the world is Jews. That means that over ninety nine percent are Gentiles. Ninety nine percent are Gentiles. You've never probably thought about that. So when we get into this story today in Ephesians chapter three, you think about Paul, who was a Jew who was a Jew, who was a Pharisee, who knew the law better than ever anybody, kept the law, not perfectly, but even killed people who believe in Jesus uh, because he held to the Pharisaical laws and just that there is a Messiah. Like, the Jews have always believed that there was a Messiah that was going to come save them. That... We get that from Genesis chapter 3. They knew that there was a Messiah that was coming to save Adam and Eve and those who were born from the seed of Adam and had a sinful nature. They just thought it was going to be Captain America or the Iron Man or somebody that was like, they didn't expect a Jewish-born son of a carpenter born in a manger who would serve people they didn't expect that to be their hero and so they just denied that Jesus would be the Messiah but as I said last week when God said I'm gonna choose the Jewish people to be my people and to take my goodness God's goodness to the rest of the world did that to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you and bless you and bless you and bless you so that the goodness of God can go throughout the world. Less than 1% are Jews. 
99% Gentiles. The Jews held on to what God gave them. It was theirs. It was theirs. And that's where it went wrong. That's where it went wrong. And then Paul was one of those that held on to it. And then eventually, Stan, I think, just like you, God transformed Paul's heart. He saw that Jesus was the Messiah. There was this download of information. He went, he went away to Arabia or wherever for years, and the Lord fed him everything like he knew everything that happened in the upper room when he wasn't even there. The Lord spoke to Paul. And then eventually he's like, okay, Paul, uh, you're still a Jew, but guess what your ministry is going to be? It's going to be to the Gentiles. The, the greater part of the world, if you guys have held on to this, now you're going to let go of it and you're actually going to spread the word. But the context of this next few verses that we get into is this, is that the Jews and the Gentiles just didn't get along. They didn't get along. The Jews had something that the Gentiles didn't have. I believe the Gentiles, a lot of the Gentiles wanted it. They wanted to know God. It's just that Jews didn't share it with them. So watch this. Watch what Paul says. He's, he's honestly, you know, talked to them in chapter 2 where we finished up about that. And... Uh, he was talking about the mystery of God and the Jews and the Gentiles are one nation. And then he was getting ready to pray for them, but he still broke out into uh, further explanation. Verse 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. This is now his ministry to the Gentiles. So after discussing, discussing the union of the Jewish and Gentile believers in the church back in chapter 2, He's going to start this prayer, but he breaks this down. Watch this. First of all, you have to know that Rome is controlled, has control of the whole world, and Caesar was the emperor. So when Paul literally says, I, Paul, who's in prison where? In Rome. He's in prison in Rome when he's writing this letter. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of... Not Caesar, but Christ Jesus. Paul does not say he's the prisoner of Caesar. He realized that all authority is established by God. You go to Romans 13.1, it says, Let everyone submit to the governing authority, since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. We say a lot of things happen, a lot of things happen, but... Really, God is the one that is in control. He's in control. There's free will, but he's in control. That's how the sovereignty of God works. He says, I'm the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Just as Pilate had no authority over Jesus, John in chapter 19 said, So Pilate said to him, You're not talking to me. Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given from you above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. 
he's literally saying, Pilate, you didn't have authority over me. God was the one that's in control of this whole thing. So now Paul was sent to the Gentiles as Peter was sent to the Jews. Galatians 2.8 says, Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. Peter was going to the Jews. Paul's ministry, his calling, whatever you want to call it, was to the Gentiles. This is my calling now. I am a Jew, but I'm supposed to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, on behalf of you Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you. He's like, you, you've heard, haven't you heard? You, like I just said it back in chapter 2. I know that you've heard. Were you here last week? You, you heard it. Remember that Paul spent three years in Ephesus as well before this, so surely he was talking about God's grace and the administration of God's grace while he lived there in Ephesus. The whole word dispensation, that actually means to uh, the law of the house. This is the law of the house. And so the dispensation was that, you know, it came to the Jews, but now it's coming to the Gentiles. All of a sudden, the laws changed in the house. And Paul's declaring out loud publicly that this has occurred. This is another way of saying it's our economy, it's our stewardship, it's our way of doing things. It's how God has administered this. And so it's distinguished between the two different periods of time. Verse 3, it says, The mystery was made known to, be, to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. I, God revealed to him. Galatians 1, verse 11 says, for I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. It's just as I said earlier, he went away, and the Spirit downloaded everything to Paul. Everything that happened with Jesus and the apostles, Paul knew about it. That's why we still today consider Paul an apostle, although he didn't hang around like the disciples did. He didn't hang around Jesus and get ministered to. But because of this time period where Jesus Christ taught him everything, it's like he knows. He knows exactly what happened. It's been revealed to him. It says, verse 4, by reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The insight being this, this critical understanding. I think I've said this in the last couple of weeks. If, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you've been transformed. Your old heart's been taken out, new heart put in, and now the Spirit comes inside of you. There's the Spirit living inside of us, the church. And because we have that Spirit, we can take this book right here and we can read it and we can understand it. If you don't have that Spirit, you still have a sinful nature. That Spirit is dead to God. 
and it's hard for you to understand spiritual things. I believe that in that state of unbelief, you can come to a point where you say, hey, I do believe in Jesus. We call that salvation. There's a point where you say, I need a Savior. I trust that Jesus is the Messiah. I did that when I was eight years old. Then Jesus did everything else after that. Now with the Spirit inside of me, I'm learning, I'm learning what the Word says. And so he says, by reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Well, what is the mystery? I believe in the context that he's talking about right here is how in the world do the Jews and the Gentiles become of one faith? There's no way that anybody at that point in time could understand how the Gentiles and the Jews could be of one faith. They're so far opposite in their way of life and their belief systems. Like the Gentiles, if you go throughout the whole Asia, they've got all these different gods and everything else. It's like, how, how can they even come to be on the same page? Well, there's only one way that that's possible. And that's to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's it. So now they have the opportunity, the unredeemed are incapable of understanding this mystery, he's saying. But he's like, if you have Jesus, if you have the Spirit, you can understand this. It makes sense. Verse 5, it says this, This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Okay, so Abraham, Moses, Joshua, King David, Isaiah, Daniel, any of the Old Testament prophets, they didn't know what Paul knew at this point. Like, again, all those people we just mentioned, they're holding on to what has been given to them by God. They didn't know that the Gentiles were going to be able to receive this. They had no idea that you would be sitting in pinheads as the body of Christ. Yeah, I just said that. You're the body of Christ, sitting here in a bar on Sunday morning. They had no idea what it was going to look like. It is the insight that can only be attained by a spirit living in it. And Paul had that spirit. Maybe Paul envisioned this right here in Fishers, Indiana. That the gospel would go out to all the world, to all the Gentiles. Verse 6, the Gentiles are co-heirs. Members of the same body. This is the mystery. How is that possible? Members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It, it wasn't that the Jews had a problem believing that Gentiles could be saved. They, again, they believed that all the way back to like Genesis chapter 12. But becoming one in Christ together, the same that they would be bonded together in faith, they never saw that coming. They never saw it. But the mystery, the mystery right there is Christ himself. 
and whom both the Jew and the Gentile believers have everything. It is, I'll say it again, it is all about Jesus. That's it. Verse 7 says, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. He said, I was made, God ordained him to be a minister. What does minister mean? It basically means to serve. He, he comes to serve. This is what Jesus modeled for Paul. This is what Jesus modeled for the disciples. It's not about him it's about serving others. And he says, uh, a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working, the working, that's God doing the work. <laughs> you, you got that right? There's a spirit inside of me. If it's Rusty doing it, it's a mistake. If it's God doing it in me, it's God that's energizing, that's working in me. It's his power, working of his power. Everything I need to complete the task is done through his power. It is God who calls, he sustains, and he even empowers us to be able to do things for him and for his glory. It is not me. It is not you. And the minute that it is, it's sin. It's what it is. It's you walking by your flesh saying, look what I did, look what I've done. If that's the case, that will burns up. But when God actually does it through you, like, Vicki, you're going to Colorado this week, and you will be a light. You will be a light to your family. And I pray that it's God working through Vicki and Charlie that you are a light to your family. Yes. And that's the way we live. That's the way we live. If this weren't true, if this isn't the way that it works, then we're both going to suffer. Verse 8, it says, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. <laughs> you get this? This was grace given to me, the least of all saints. He's humble. Paul's humble. And at one point, if you go back to First uh, Timothy, he even calls himself the chief of all sinners. That's a verse that messes everybody up. Because what Paul's referring to is in his Pharisaical life when he actually was killing Christians before he knew Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, he considered that to be the worst, killing Christians. Like, I, I'm the worst of sinners. But wait, he called himself the chief of sinners, and that's the only time that he does it, but it's in reference to his past life. He now knows Jesus as his Messiah and as his Savior, and everything that we read and everything that he, Paul writes, he says, I'm a saint, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm redeemed. I may be the least of the saints, <laughs> but I'm still a saint. My life has changed. I'm no longer the chief of sinners, I, I'm no longer a sinner. Don't identify me as a sinner because Jesus already died once on the cross and he took care of all my sins, past, present, and future. So don't identify my sins, even though I still sin. Paul's like, even though I still sin, even though I still make bad choices, even though I walk by my flesh occasionally, 
Don't identify me as that. Identify me as holy, righteous, and redeemed. Forgiven forever. He says, this was the grace given to me. And then that last line, the incalculable riches of Christ. <laughs> what is that? We have no idea. We have no idea what that is. I, I, can, I can begin to think and hope and dream and have ideas and read this and go, wow, 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 but I'm still not in the ballpark. <laughs> it, you can't calculate the riches of Jesus. You can't. Verse 9, it says, I'm sitting here listening to bowling pins going, I'm like, what in the world are we doing here in a bowling alley talking about Jesus? It's because he said, this is part of my riches. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul wanted all the Jews and Gentiles to know that they could be one in Christ. He's pounding at home. He's a Jew. He's for the Jews. But he's also got this calling for the Gentiles. Let's get along. Let's We, we are together. Verse 10, it says this. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Hmm. Hmm. You can go two different directions right here. One is, if you take Paul's message, the Jews and the Gentiles get along. We're all one faith in Jesus Christ. And if we allow the Spirit to work through us, I don't have to promote an agenda other than Jesus. I don't. If I'm going to be a light in this world, I need to let Jesus breathe for me. I need to let Jesus speak for me. I need to let Jesus do things for me. I need to let Jesus be my life. And if he's my life, I don't have to I don't have to do agendas, guys. I don't. He is capable of doing that. And even the authorities can see that. I walk through the police department and they know that I love Jesus. And it makes an impact. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to do anything. I just walk through the halls and they know. But if you take it to the other side of things, then let's talk about the spiritual side of it. Paul says later on in this letter, chapter 6, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. I grasp that. I understand that. And there's nothing that I can do about it. There's nothing that I can do about it except pray and know Jesus intimately. I pray. I, I personally believe in spiritual warfare. I believe that it is a real thing. And so I pray, all, I pray for myself. I pray for you. I pray for understanding. And I know Jesus intimately, and I'm going to trust him.
somebody asked me, did did Stan know that you were going to do that this morning? Did, did he know that you were going to approach him? I'm like, I called him yesterday. He said no. I said, pray about it. I saw him this morning. He said no. And I said, well, you got a few more minutes before I come at you. Stan, I'm coming at you. <laughs> and he said to me, I trust you. I trust you. I got a green light. May have. Stan, I appreciate your heart. appreciate your availability here this morning. I do believe in spiritual warfare. Verse 11 says, This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. We today are under a different stewardship than those of the Old Covenant. I didn't say Old Testament, I said Old Covenant. They used to have faith by doing things. We had to do things, be obedient to God. You obeyed God, you did His rules, you followed His laws and everything else, and if you didn't, then you would get disciplined, you would get punished. And then there would be a form of repentance, and then you would like renew your relationship. And this kept happening. Like every year, they had to go and they had to like shed the blood of a, a perfect sacrifice, so that their sins could be atoned—not forgiven, but atoned—to be covered. The forgiveness didn't happen until Jesus actually died on the cross, because His blood was the only blood that could forgive sins. And so, according to this eternal pomp. Her purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Acts 17 said this, Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. The whole circumstance changed in the new covenant. You are a new covenant church. You are the body of Christ. You are believers. I believe that God requires us to worship Him, but it's not really for His benefit, it's for ours. I really believe that. It's, it's literally through beholding his, his glory, the glory of God that lives in me, the glory of God that lives in you. I look at you and go, the glory of God lives in you. The glory of God lives in you. And I see you differently. And it causes me to respond to you differently. It causes me to behave differently. It causes me to think differently. It is through beholding His glory and His majesty that we, that we all of a sudden can latch on to God's perspective of life and just enter this joy and peace in the midst of our grief. We will grieve this week. But because we have God's eternal perspective, it all changes. There's a peace that's sitting here with me right now. As I think about my family in Colorado, and they'll be grieving. Verse 12, it says, In Him we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. <laughs> I wish the body of Christ could understand that. 
the boldness that we have of Christ alone living with us and the access that we have to him on a daily basis. And this last verse, before he gets into his prayer, he says, So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. <laughs> you, you have two perspectives there. You, you could either be upset about Paul's situation, he's in prison, he's in Rome, he's doing these things, or you could absolutely get fired up about it. I like this one theologian in particular. His name is Warren Wiersbe, and he says this, the reason many churches are weak and ineffective is because they do not understand what they have in Christ. And the cause of this is often spiritual leaders who are not good stewards of the mystery because they do not rightly divide the word of truth as he, Paul talks about in 2 Timothy. They confuse their people concerning their spiritual position in Christ. And they rob their people of the spiritual wealth in Christ. Let me tell you this. One more time. This is not positional theology. In other words, I was made a saint. I don't have to die and go to heaven to be a saint. I am a saint sitting right here in front of you. I am forgiven past, present, and future, right now, right here. I don't have to die. It's not my position that I receive by believing and someday I'm going to get it. I got it. I got it right here. And I can walk around this world, call it a Romans 1 world now, and I can hold my head high. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done in me. I truly believe, church, if we figure this thing out, the mystery, the mystery unfolds to more people. You become a light to the world. You be Jesus in the world. Paul's like, I, I'm, I'm not to be discouraged. You're not to be discouraged over my afflictions because of you guys. I'm in here because I was teaching the gospel to the Jews and all of a sudden when I said Gentiles, I got arrested. I'm in here because of you guys. But don't be discouraged because this is cool. The gospel's still going out. It's going to go out through you. I'm going to hang out here with these soldiers, these, these guys, these guards that are watching over me. I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus that I can People are coming and hanging out with me, and it's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about words. It's not about theology. It's not about anything else other than Jesus. We're to be a light. We go out in the world, and all of a sudden, people can see the mystery of God because they have God. Because the Spirit decides, hey, if you just say yes, if you just raise your hand, I'll come live inside of you and do it. I'll do it for you. So today... That's my prayer. That we, that they appropriate by faith what they have. That they understand what they have in Ephesus. What we have. Right here in Pinhead. What we have. What you have. 
Father, my prayer is that um, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the grief, in the midst of all the things that go on in this world, as our kids go back to schools, oh, that they be a light in a dark place. That they speak the truth. I pray for my my nephew Ethan, who's taking a Bible lit class and teaching his teacher about Jesus. That he just be a light in that classroom. May you cause us to have a smile on our face this week and people just ask us what that smile is all about. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.